0: You're listening to the Keep Going Podcast, where we keep going after the heart of God because He's our only hope. I'm Nika Maples. And he them to the Welcome to season one, episode 14 of the Keep Going Podcast. Right now, we are in a series called A Walk Through the Psalms, and today our focus is on Psalms 90 through 106. Just a note, I use the New Living Translation as my primary text because it's readable, and I don't approach these podcasts as a scholar, but as a lover of the word who wants to share simple spiritual observations from my own daily Bible reading. Let's review the previous podcast in two points. Number one, we found connections between book three of the Psalms and the book of Leviticus through the covenant of salt that God made with King David, which was symbolized in the salt added to the offerings by the priests. Number two, we discussed how Jesus has made a covenant of peace with us, and through it, we as a royal priesthood can pursue peace with anyone as an offering to Christ. Paris is for lovers, but it is not for wheelchairs. I say this because my family went to Europe years ago, and I thought it would be a terrific idea to bring along a wheelchair for myself. Everybody knows Europe has a lot more pedestrian traffic than the United States, but not everybody realizes how inaccessible it is. Just because you bring a wheelchair doesn't mean you get everywhere with it. The doorways are impossibly slim. There are no elevators. The sidewalks in Paris are narrow and uneven. On one of them, my brother was pushing me along, and he veered over a little bit so that the people who were walking in the opposite direction could pass. As he kept his eyes up looking to avoid the people, he didn't notice below how close we were to the curb of the busy street. The nearer we came to the edge of that sidewalk, the more I hollered, wait, 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 stop! Here's the thing about wheelchairs. When you're riding in one, the person pushing you, the one actually taking the steps, doesn't always hear you. In fact, most of the time, they don't hear you. Your voice travels forward, not backward, to where they are standing, and you're so far below their ear level that it doesn't register. On top of all of that, my brother happens to be very tall, so it was like I was calling out my warnings into a vacuum. He didn't hear me at all. The wheel tipped off the curb, the wheelchair lurched, and I flew out into the street. Only by instinct did I throw out my arm and catch a lamppost. There I hung by the crook of my elbow, swinging over a slender street as cars whizzed past my head. Now that is an extreme example of what can happen, but I have no way of calculating how many other ordinary times wheelchair-pushing friends have not heard my warnings. Their eyes are up. They don't see what I can see from down below. They forget that those metal footplates stick out way in front and can take the skin off people's ankles in a heartbeat. Wait, 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 stop! I'll shout. But they don't hear me in time and there goes another Achilles tendon of another innocent bystander. The pusher, the one actually taking the steps, just hadn't seen how close we were to the person in front of us. Sometimes the one who has the most information about where you are going is not easy to hear. Let me repeat that. Sometimes the one who has the most information about where you are going is not easy to hear. As you may know, I've been connecting each of the five books of the Psalms with its corresponding book in the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible. That means that book four, or Psalms 90-106, through matches the book of Numbers. It took me about three seconds to find the connecting theme, but I admit that I've taken an entire month to formulate this lesson, much longer than I had planned. I think it was such a tough lesson to write because it is such a tough lesson to live, and you'll know what I'm talking about. I have written this podcast in several parts, This is the first one. Please do not miss the second. Now, before we get to our touchstone verse in the Psalms, I need to establish its connection to the book of Numbers. That connection is found in chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. In this passage, the Israelites have left Egypt, have walked through the Red Sea on dry land, and are on their way to the promised land, Canaan. They are learning how to operate as free people for the first time. If you think about it, they had only ever known slavery. So God really had to teach them ownership and organizational skills. This is one of the reasons that Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy feel so boring to us. The Israelites were being given standards to live by. The basic standards that seem obvious to us, but were revolutionary to people who had never had to govern their own hearts and lives. They were used to being told what to do. So listen to this passage in which God tells them how to take care of special possessions in the tabernacle. See if any words stand out to you. P.S. I will be emphasizing them. The duties of the Kohathites in the tabernacle will relate to the most sacred objects. When the camp moves, Aaron and his sons must enter the tabernacle first to take down the inner curtain and cover the Ark of the Covenant with it. Then they must cover the inner curtain with fine goatskin leather and spread over that a single piece of blue cloth. Finally, they must put the carrying poles of the Ark in place. Next, they must spread a blue cloth over the table where the Bread of the Presence is displayed. And on the cloth, they will place bowls, ladles, jars, pitchers, and the special bread. They must spread a scarlet cloth over all of this and finally a covering of fine goatskin leather on top of the scarlet cloth. Then they must insert the carrying poles into the table. Next, they must cover the lampstand with a blue cloth along with its lamps, lamp snuffers, trays, and special jars of olive oil. Then they must cover the lampstand and its accessories with fine goatskin leather and place the bundle on a carrying frame. Next, they must spread a blue cloth over the gold incense altar and cover this cloth with fine goatskin leather. Then they must attach the carrying poles to the altars. Next, they must spread a blue cloth over the gold incense altar and cover this cloth with fine goatskin leather. Then they must attach the carrying poles to the altar. They must take all the remaining furnishings of the sanctuary and wrap them in a blue cloth, cover them with fine goatskin leather and place them on the carrying frame. They must remove the ashes from the altar for sacrifices and cover the altar with purple cloth. All the altar utensils, the firepans, meat forks, shovels, basins, and all the containers must be placed on the cloth and a covering of fine goatskin leather must be spread over them. Finally, they must put the carrying poles in place. The camp will be ready to move when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the sacred articles. Did you hear that? The camp will be ready to move when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the sacred articles. There was a lot of covering to be done. God was very particular about covering special possessions, wasn't he? The Israelites needed to know this. They had been slaves for 430 years. That entire generation had only owned simple tools and necessities, but they had never had special possessions. And the tender care of special possessions was really, really, really something that God needed them to know. Because he was about to give them a really, really, really special possession. The promised land. He said so in Numbers 34 too. Give these instructions to the Israelites when you come to the land of Canaan, which I am giving you as your special possession. These will be the boundaries. But that was still some way off in the future. They had a lot to learn first about setting boundaries. Tell me, how were they ever going to know how to show tender care for the promised land if they didn't even know how to show tender care for lampstands and golden bowls from the tabernacle? The tabernacle concept of covering special possessions was something they had to practice in a very literal sense before they could practice covering the promised land in the spiritual sense. They had to become proficient with the small before they were given the great. We have heard this concept before. Listen to Jesus' words echo from the book of Matthew. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Often we read that last verse and think that because the servant was faithful with a few things, then the master had this sudden idea to reward him with greater things. But I look at what we're studying in the book of Numbers right now, and I don't see that at all. I see that the original intent of the master is always to give the servant greater things. It was not just a spontaneous reward. It was the whole plan from the beginning. The small things that came first were in order to train the servant for the greater things that were to come so that he could steward them well and with tender care. Did you just hear something for yourself in that? Have you been toiling away at small assignments that feel as menial as draping covers over bowls and lampstands? This is not because the Lord thinks you are small. This is not because simple tasks are all you will ever have. No, he has greater things for you. And right now is about training you through the tender care of special possessions so that later you will tenderly care for a much more significant special possession that he intends to give you. By the time he gives it to you, you will understand how to set boundaries in your life, and you will know how to keep a spiritual covering in place. Now watch this. Not only was God training the Israelites how to tenderly care for their significant special possession, the promised land, There was another deeper and more beautiful layer to all of this. In Deuteronomy we read, Remember that the Lord rescued you from the iron-smelting furnace of Egypt in order to make you his very own people and his special possession, which is what you are today. Whoa! God had his own special possession, his people. So the tender care of special possessions was about a lot more than bowls and lampstands, and it was about a lot more than the promised land. Only in understanding the tender care of special possessions would the Israelites understand themselves in relation to God. And yes, they had a covering. God wouldn't forget that. Look how the coverings in the tabernacle are linked by a sweet and symbolic strand to this passage from Numbers 9, 17 through 23. In this passage, the special possessions were not utensils and the coverings were not purple and blue cloth and fine animal skins. No, the special possession was people and the covering was a cloud. It may not say the word covering in this passage, but listen for the way that the cloud was a kind of covering that the people purposefully stayed under. Whenever the cloud lifted from over the sacred tent, the people of Israel would break camp and follow it. And wherever the cloud settled, the people of Israel would set up camp. In this way, they traveled and camped at the Lord's command wherever he told them to go. Then they remained in their camp as long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle. If the cloud remained over the tabernacle for a long time, the Israelites stayed and performed their duty to the Lord. Sometimes the cloud would stay over the tabernacle for only a few days, so the people would stay for only a few days as the Lord commanded. Then at the Lord's command, they would break camp and move on. Sometimes the cloud stayed only overnight and lifted the next morning. But day or night, when the cloud lifted, the people broke camp and moved on. Whether the cloud stayed above the tabernacle for two days, a month, or a year, the people of Israel stayed in camp and did not move on. But as soon as it lifted, they broke camp and moved. So they camped or traveled at the Lord's command, and they did whatever the Lord told them through Moses. They moved when he moved. It sounds like that hip-hop song, when I move, you move, just like that. That's the way the Lord wanted the Israelites to live. And that's the way that he wants us to live. He wants us to stay under his covering. When I move, you move, just like that. But what Ludacris doesn't sing in that song is, when I stay, you stay, just like that. When I stay, you stay, just like that. And I'll tell you, that's the line in that biblical passage that makes me hear the record rip. Stay? What? It is in verse 22. Let's rewind. Whether the clouds stayed above the tabernacle for two days, a month, or a year, the people of Israel stayed in camp and did not move. Whether the clouds stayed for a year? No! No! I thought that people were moving the whole time, walking the whole time, taking steps every day, but apparently not. They had to wait sometimes, and sometimes a long time. When you're sitting in a traffic jam and you come up to an exit that will likely take you secret back ways that you know, do you immediately feel the urge to take it? Even if you know that staying through the traffic jam will probably get you home at exactly the same time as taking those long and winding backways, Yes, even if you were gonna arrive at the exact same time either way, you and I will probably take the exit just so we can be moving. Movement is comforting. Just ask a hamster on a wheel. Movement takes his mind off the fact that he is stuck in a cage. We've all been there. We don't like to wait and just sit still. But if the Israelites had said, what is up with this cloud not moving for the last six months? We were steady stepping day in and day out for a good long while, but now we are stalled. Something must be wrong. Look, nothing was wrong. God was moving. He just wasn't moving them yet. Maybe someone needs to hear that for themselves. Maybe nothing is wrong just because you used to be steady stepping day in and day out. Maybe God is moving in your life. He just isn't moving you yet. But why wouldn't he be moving you and me and the Israelites? Why would we have to stay still and wait? Here we finally come to the touchstone verse in book four of the Psalms that connects to the book of Numbers. We are God's special possession. Let's listen closely for our covering. From Psalm 91, 1 through 4. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers, he will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Friends, when he asks us to wait, it is for the sake of our rest, refuge, and rescue. And the covering over us, did you hear it? The covering over us is his faithful promise. Under his faithful promise, we have armor and protection while we wait for him to move, or at least to ask us to move. Right now, I'm waiting on a promise God gave me about something very specific in my life. It's a big promise, and believe me, I want that cloud to move, but I don't dare take a step out from under it. God's timing is perfect, and His faithful promise to me is my armor and protection right now. I would never jeopardize my own safety or His plan by exposing myself to danger when I can't even see what's ahead. That's what I would be doing if I stepped out from under the covering when he has asked me to wait. The cloud may be a covering, but you know what a cloud looks like when you're in it, right? Fog. Conditions of low visibility. You better not move. You might not be able to see what's next while you wait, but you'll be safe if you stay where you are. The thing is, for me, waiting is easier when waiting has a name. For a while, I called this waiting time of mine a Sabbath. When friends would ask me why I wasn't moving in this certain area, I would answer, Oh, I think God is just giving me a Sabbath. Hey, I'm embracing it. Sabbath. It was something I believed about my weight, but as time wore on, it was really just something I was saying about my weight. Nobody needs to rest that long. So I thought hard about it and realized that maybe it was preparation. So when people would ask me pointed questions that would poke at that very personal spot called none of your business, I would say, oh, this wait time, it's it's preparation. God is just preparing me for the season ahead. Preparation. Again, it was something that I believed about my weight, but as time wore on, it became something I was just saying about my weight. Does somebody really need this much preparation? I started to admit, how come nobody needs this much rest and nobody needs this much preparation but me? Good grief. Pretty soon, my waiting didn't have a name. It was just generic. Welcome, you have reached the indefinite wait. When people ask you pointed questions that poke you in that very personal spot, you have to shrug and say, I don't know. I'm just waiting. Well, how, how long do you think you'll have to wait? I don't know. It appears to be an indefinite wait. Well, well, but what are you going to do while you wait? I don't know. I guess I'm just going to wait while I wait. And as long as I'm waiting, I think I also might rip your hair out. Ask me one more question. Ask me one more question right now. Ask me because I need something to do. These interactions, which typically happen at church, let's be honest, can stir up some resentment toward God because we all know he's standing there with you. And he's the one with all the answers, but he's not the one answering the questions. Then on the inside, you're giving him the look. Like when you're out in public and you give your child that look that my mom used to give me, the one that says, we will continue this when we get home. There have been many times when I have been in an awkward conversation with a pokey someone and in the middle of trying to answer all their pointed questions, I would think to myself, God, you and I, we will continue this when we get home. Listen, that resentment gets stirred up because you're feeling the need to defend God in front of that other person who probably isn't even on your short list of people who would get a phone call if something drastic happened in your life anyway. You have never even bought them a Christmas present, but you feel the need to give them the gift of a detailed explanation about your life decisions? This is unhealthy behavior. Trying to define what God is up to in your life by calling it a Sabbath or a preparation or whatever vocabulary you want, that's unnecessary. Quit moving your mouth just to make yourself feel better. Mouth movement for the sake of comfort is just hamster wheel talk. God never asks you to defend his decisions, and he never asks you to call the indefinite wait anything other than an indefinite wait. Tell people you're waiting indefinitely, and let the period of the sentence fall right there. Stop talking, and you will see a lot of dumbfounded expressions on people's faces, which should tell you that you're on to something holy. Not many people are comfortable with waiting. They take the nearest exit and drive on the back ways just to keep moving, even if it won't get them there a minute faster than if they stayed still. So when they hear you say that you're just waiting and then you close your mouth, they open theirs. They go slack-jawed and are struck silent by your confidence. The faith to wait and stay under the covering indefinitely is awe-inspiring. It's jaw-dropping. It is enough to strike a big talker quiet. That is when you smile and walk away. You can mention your unnamed, indefinite weight with confidence because you know that you are under God's covering if you move when he moves. Remember when I started this podcast with a story about wheelchairs and how hard it is for the one pushing to hear the one in the chair? I hollered to my brother in Paris, Wait, wait, wait! Stop! And then I also told you that sometimes the one with the most information about where you're going is the hardest to hear in our lives. You and I are the ones who have to take steps and we are the ones who have to listen to the one with the most information about where we are going. He can see things that we can't see. So if he hollers, wait, 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 stop. We can trust that he has a reason for doing so. His promises are our covering. They are our armor and protection. When he moves, we move, and when he stays, we stay. To be continued in part two. 98 by Shane and Shane and is used with permission. Go to my website, NikaMaples.com to order my new book, Hunting Hope and to sign up for my email list. You'll receive prayer encouragement and a free printable hope poster every month. And by the way if you're already on my email list and enjoy it, will you please forward your next email from me to a friend who might enjoy it too It'll be a way to share the encouragement that you have received And now, let us always hope and keep on adding to his praise. We'll talk soon. Until then, keep going.